Good morning. Welcome to Finer Church. My name is Nick Crawford. I'm the community group's pastor. We're starting a brand new sermon series today. It's called Technology Boundaries in a Brave New World. We're going to be taking a look at how technology is changing us, how it's taking us places that we don't really want to go, how it's tra- transforming our community from authentic to cheap. Community Stability, identity, that's the motto of the world state in Aldous Huxley's satirical book, A Brave New World. It's a cautionary tale about a totalitarian regime that seeks to advance man's agenda through the use of technological advances. Man creates a pill. People take it. It's good. It makes them feel good. They want more and more. And the pill really dumbs them down to what's really going on in the world. You see in their quest for community instability they all lose their identity but technology is not the villain in a brave new world it's man more specifically it's man's abuse of technology god does not demonize our technology or its use he gave us dominion over it when we create in ways that elevate creation over the creator We abuse technology, but when we use technology as a means to bless others, we fall right in line with God's created order. A brave new world indeed. We tend to use technology that confuses God's order of technology. And I wonder, I wonder if something similar isn't just happening to us. You see, most of us think in terms of what technology can do for us, but not so much in terms of what it can do to us. That device in your pocket is so psychologically powerful that it's not only changing what you do and how you do it, it's changing who you are. Look, just a few years ago, we would have thought these things were disrespectful, disturbing, or even odd, but we do them today and they've become our norm. We email in meetings, we text at the dinner table, We Facebook and shop in class. We tweet at community group, Instagram during our quiet time, and we Snapchat in church. We are creating a brave new world indeed, a brave new world of being alone while being together. We're setting ourselves up for trouble too in how we relate with God, one another, and ourselves. We're in the process of creating a cheap community because now we're expecting more from technology than we are from one another, and worse, from God. So how do we redeem the toll that technology is taking on our relationships and on our communities? We're going to be looking at that question through the lens of Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9, the Tower of Babel. We can put it up, I'll set it up with a little bit of background. We're going way back to the cradle of civilization, to ancient Mesopotamia, to a little region in the south called Shinar, There's a little play on words in the text that helps us drop a pin on the Google map to the precise location that we're going in ancient history. We're going to Babel. Babel, and later Babylon, is a picture of a worldly city. It's where man seeks to elevate himself to the very place of God, and it stands in stark contrast to God's holy city that is made great not by the strength of man's hands, but by the power of God himself. So travel back further in time to the Garden of Eden. Eden. That's where we pick up God's created order. Verse one, chapter 1, verse 26, we find God saying, Let us make man 
in our image after our likeness. Two verses later, Genesis 1.28, we find God giving us a clear purpose, and it comes in the form of a blessing. 128, we find the word, it says, God blessed them and said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over it. A blessing. A blessing is what God gives to his image bearers. He's saying, go fill the world, show the world what I am like. God desires to bless the world with his presence. And so we have the created order. It begins with God. It always begins with God. In the beginning, there was nothing. There was chaos. There was confusion. God spoke and things came to be in the word. The word goes forth into the world and things change. So here's the order. God, man, and the rest of creation, which includes our creation, our technology. The creation must be in subjection to the creator, but we don't like that. We've been getting this wrong from the beginning. Chapter 3, verse 5, we find Adam and Eve trying to be like God in wisdom. They try to attain that status independent of God and contrary to his word. And they get the independence that they seek, and it comes in the form of a curse. God kicks them out of the garden. He exiles them, and they find themselves alienated. God's judgment isn't final, though. He promises a redeemer. Chapter 3, verse 15, we get the redeemer. The seed of woman will crush the serpent's head. He's come, and he's coming again. Man's independence continues. Corruption covers the earth, and so God sends another curse, the flood. And man is once again alienated from God, but he blesses us. He preserves a remnant on the boat, and we get a fresh new start through Noah. And God echoes his blessing to Noah, the same blessing that he gave to Adam in chapter 1. He says, go out from the ark, be fruitful, and multiply. But Noah's family soon falters and we come to Babel, where humanity hits rock bottom. And ironically, we hit rock bottom by trying to climb to the top. From the beginning, God's plan has been to bless the world with that which is good. But man has failed to trust God, choosing instead to try to grasp the goodness of God on his own. Let's read. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east... They found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. They said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Let's pray. Father, you are creator, and you made us in your image to be fruitful and to reflect your image throughout the whole world. 
This is your blessing. You desire to bless us with you, with who you are. May this message today reflect that, God. May it point your people to you. Lord, thank you for elevating me to this platform to preach your message, to your gospel, to your people. Father, may I do so with boldness and power in the power of your spirit. Amen. The Tower of Babel is a false story. It's a story of God's judgment that comes when we abuse technology, when we try to elevate it, creation, over the Creator. When we confuse the Creator, order relationships are destroyed, our relationship with one another and with God, and we find ourselves alienated in the process. Now, technology can be good too. It can be both good and bad. It is the motive behind the use of our technology that defines the goodness of what we do with it. Our motives for technology are fallen, though, just like the rest of the world. And this reveals itself in how we relate to one another and to God. We, like the people of Babel, fear being alone so much that we distort the goodness of God's creation. We turn to it rather than turn to Jesus. We're now connecting in ways that actually make us more alone than we've ever been in history. What's going on? How do we properly use technology? How can we use it to reclaim God's design for our relationships? Church, we have got to get the order right. The story of Babel teaches us a few things about how to get that order right. First, we need to retreat from fallen unity. We need to revere God's order of creation, and so we need to rediscover God's path to blessing. First, retreat from fallen unity. We pick this up in verses 1 and 2. Not all unity is good unity. When we band together to defy God's word, we move away from his blessing. We need a better roadmap. So the story begins. Noah's descendants are a people with one language. Verse 1. And at first glance, we have the start of what looks like something truly good and truly remarkable. All the world is unified and they're headed in the same direction. Wouldn't that be nice as we head to November? They're headed east. East. Now, that direction is a signal that something is not quite right. In Genesis, when people typically go east, they go away from God. Look, Adam and Eve exiled east of Eden. Cain, he moved east. When Lot divides for Abraham, he goes east. The people may be going the same way, but they're going the wrong way. They're moving away from the land of blessing and away from God. As they move away from the land of blessing, they see a tract of land that looks good to their eye, and they settle. This is significant. This is big. It's big because it's a rejection of God's word. It's a direct violation of what he's already told them to do. He told Noah, go out from the ark, be fruitful and multiply on the earth. Chapter 8, verses 15 through 17, and again in 9, 1. God blessed man to spread out. But here man chooses to set up a secure center for himself from which to govern the world, independent of God's rule. So the Babel project has begun. It represents man's greatest step of rebellion thus far. No longer is independent defiance of his word enough. Now we've joined together as a labor union against our maker. Recently, I was at a birthday party over in the gym. It featured our fun zone. That was the major attraction of the, of the party. It had the, the bounce house. Some of you have had it. Some of your kids play in it. 
Kids were tearing through that bounce house, man. They were jumping, they were laughing, they were pushing their way through the bounce house. And out of the chaos, in walks a little girl. She had a stick, but not just any stick. It was a white stick with a little red tip on the end, ever so carefully tracing the contours of the ground below. Her daddy walked in beside her. Now this little girl, she couldn't see the chaos in the bounce house, but she could hear it, and she wanted in. Her daddy stood right outside the bounce house. I watched this little girl make her way, touch and feel her way through the obstacle course of the bounce house. And as I did, I noticed that many times she'd lose her bearings as the kids would race past her and turn her around. But there, just on the other side of the wall of the bounce house, the voice of her father called out to her saying, Sweetheart, up, down, left, Right, climb up, keep going. I'm here with you, and I will be with you at the end. As I watched this little girl follow her daddy's instructions, I realized that this is exactly how the Christian life is meant to be lived. It's crazy out there. Popular culture can tell us that every step forward is followed by two steps back. Sometimes it's hard for us to navigate. Sometimes it's hard for us to know which way to truly go. But we have a roadmap. The word of the Father calls out to His children in the Word. He tells us, go left, right, up, down, climb up. I'm with you and I will be with you at the end. Church, we're all about unity. We're all about unity. And we'll do anything to get it. Like the people in the book, A Brave New World, will surrender our freedom for a drug. We'll join up to go the wrong way. Technology appeals to us where we are most vulnerable. We want community, but we're afraid of intimacy. So we turn to our creature comforts. We reach out to the world. We make that post. We seek those likes. But this is an illusion of community. Technology lets us feel connected in ways that we can comfortably control, but we are not so much in control. Something is missing. We need to go to the roadmap. We're drawn to our creature comforts. We like to stick together in the comforts of our safe environments and we do so at the risk of God's word and his blessing to the world we need to get out of our comfort zones we need to venture across the street and be a be a blessing to our neighbors in a couple of weeks October 26th it's a Wednesday we'll have that chance our annual fall festival will be held in the park we want to be the church that blesses our neighbors and I want you to join us I'll be there and it's going to be a fun fun time You see, scattering is not all about geography. We can scatter in our own neighborhoods. Scattering is about relationships. So let me ask you, who are you doing life with? Who's coming to your house for dinner? Who are you inviting to your birthday parties? Babel is all about comfort, and there are consequences to that. You see, sticking together is what creates racism. The mentality of us versus them, the haves and the have-nots. Rather than join up to go the wrong way, let's retreat from that fallen unity. We need to gather around the road map, renew our relationship with the Father who tells us where to go. Secondly, verses 3 and 4, we need to revere God's order of creation. We confuse God's order and we get it backwards. And we fail to respond appropriately to who God is. 
Although the soil of Shinar looked good to the people headed east, it was really only good for cultivation. It wasn't so good for construction. You see, in that region, Shinar, there wasn't a whole lot of available stone. It's hard to build without stone back in those days. So they, they got together, they brainstormed. And out of their little brainstorming session, out of their ingenuity came the development of kiln-fired brick. An invention that many do credit to the Babylonians. Technology, they had done something. They used a tar-like substance to stick the bricks together, and this process allowed them to build structures about as sturdy as stone. But bricks are not the same as stone. God builds with stone, with Christ as his cornerstone. Man-made bricks are really just fired clay. They don't stand the test of time, not like stone. Now, this brick-making process took some time, and so it was expensive. So truly, only the most important buildings of their time were made with brick. This is a clue to the precise type of tower that they built, and an even further clue to their fall. Verse 4, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. You see, in the Old Testament, towers were primarily used for defense purposes as watchtowers. But we are not in an Israelite city. We're in early Mesopotamia. And the most important buildings in those cities were called ziggurats or stepped pyramids. Ziggurats look like pyramids, but they're very different in function. Pyramids were essentially big gravesite storehouses. Ziggurats weren't storehouses. Most of them didn't even have an inside. Most ziggurats are shell structures. They're framed with brick and they're filled with dirt. Ziggurats weren't storehouses. They were stairways. Stairways to heaven. Stairways to a little top, on, to a top of the ziggurat. A little place that they called the gate of gods. The Tower of Babel was a ziggurat. And it was built to make it convenient for God to come down to them, to receive their worship, and to bless them. We see their objective too. Let us make a name for ourselves. But God had already given them a name. He's their maker. The maker always gets the honor of naming. He is God, and he named a man and woman. Their goal is to displace God, get to heaven, and rule his kingdom. They were now trying to bring him down to their fallen level. This is worse than idolatry because it degrades the very nature of God himself as painting him as one who has needs. Acts 17, verses 24 to 25, helps us get the order straight on that issue. The word says, The God who made the world and everything in it does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. These people think that they can achieve the way to heaven on their own instead of receiving God's presence as a free gift. You see, their unity and their technology have given them confidence in themselves. They're shaping their own identity apart from God. Their identity is self-defined. It's not God-defined. Because they've lost sight of who God is, they're now losing sight of who they are. They're God's creation. He's their creator. They've got the order wrong. And their motive, we see it here, lest we be dispersed. They're afraid. Fear is their motivator. Their building project is really an avoidance project to avoid that which they fear most, dispersal. They don't want to be scattered. God blessed them and told them to go and multiply, but they misunderstand his blessing for a threat 
and this scares them. Why are they so afraid? They think that scattering will make them all alone, that in their dispersal they'll lose their identity, that they'll somehow miss out on God's goodness. But God's blessing isn't so much about their identity. It's about revealing His identity to the world. They've confused the order. Now, if you know me, you probably know me as Coy's dad. That's my identity to you, right? Coy is my two-and-a-half-year-old boy, and I love that kid to death. I love him. The kid, let me tell you something about him, though. The kid is a maniac right now. It's like he's forgotten how to walk. He runs everywhere. He's learning what he wants, and he runs to go get it. It's unbelievable, and I'm learning that I'm not as fast as I used to be. Now, Kristen and I are trying to remedy some of this behavior by getting the boy to sit down for the duration of our family dinner time. She and I are trying to reclaim some time together and teach him a few things as we do. Now, in my infinite wisdom as Coy's daddy, I have introduced the boy to ice cream. So when we sit down to our family dinner time, what do you think he wants first? Boom. <laughs> so does he. <laughs> ice cream. I can't blame him. I can't blame him at all. <laughs> Coy wants to skip over that which is good for him and get straight to the goodies. He's afraid that if he doesn't have it now, he won't have it later. But there's an order to our dinner time. Coy's got to eat what's good for him first before he can get what really tastes good. Aren't we like that too? We all like to skip over what's good for us and jump straight to what just tastes good. We all get the order wrong from time to time, and I wonder why. Fear. I believe it's fear. We fear the wrong thing. We don't revere God for who He is, so we confuse the order. We fear being alone, being unnoticed, that we're missing out, that people are missing us, and this drives how we use technology. We worship continual connection because we fear being alone so much. Think about it. The moment you feel alone, maybe you panic, you fidget, you get nervous, you reach for that device. Think about yourself at a red light, an elevator, or any, any moment that you're alone. What's standing right beside you? What's on your nightstand? Yeah. The moment we feel alone, we reach for that device, and what a vice this is becoming. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, these become our drug of the brave new world. There we find, we try to make a sense of that inner chaos in us all by connecting. It's changing how we're seeing ourselves. If I don't have connection, I don't feel like myself, so I connect more and more. And in the process, I become more and more alienated from real and authentic relationships. How long can you go without a data hit? Why don't we feel the same eagerness to pursue intimacy with our Father? We're drawn to cheap community. We need to pursue the real thing. We need to chase the one who left the comforts of his kingdom to come down here and die for us. In the process of avoiding our FOMO, our fear of missing out, we're misplacing our worship. We begin to worship the creation over the creator. Paul says it this way, in Romans 1.25, he says that they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen? Romans 1.24, the preceding verse, tells us what God does when we get the order wrong. He gives us over to our lusts, to impurity. So what do we do? 
What do we do? How can we get the order right? I got a few things for you. We got a slide. There it is. How do we get the order right? A few things. First, we need to get a bigger view of God. When we fear the, the wrong things, we're not so wise. Church, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of Lord, the Lord, Proverbs 1.7. God's name is above our name, and we only find our name when we accept His. Ephesians 2.10 helps us get the order right on this one. We are His workmanship. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Secondly, we need to withdraw to the Father in His Word. We need to find out who He says He is. Maybe you need to use your device to schedule it. Have some quiet time. Next week, we're going to teach on that. I'm looking forward to it. We're going to teach on how time is a sacred resource that God has given His people. Third, we need to create some sacred places at home. The dinner table, the family room, the bedroom. Reclaim them for conversation, relationship, and prayer. Y'all seen the Chick-fil-A chicken coop? Y'all seen that? Best invention I've seen in a long time. If you go inside Chick-fil-A, not through the drive-thru, they have this little box. You take your phone, you drop it in the box, and you put it at the end of the table, and you talk to each other. I love it. I love it. We laugh together. We talk. We enjoy the good news of the gospel together. There's a set order to creation, and we need to revere it. Once we see ourselves as below our maker, we'll finally start to rediscover God's path to blessing. That's our third point. Rediscover God's path to blessing. We pick it up in verses 5 through 9. Church, when God reveals himself to us, we can do nothing but respond in relation to his goodness. Sin always begins with unbelief about the goodness of God. From the beginning, we hear the serpent say, did God really say and so it is for Babel. They won't trust his goodness, so they don't get his blessing. They took that low-hanging fruit. They built that shortcut, that stairway to heaven, to try to access the goodness of God on their own. What happened? You see, their stairs were supposed to make it easy for God to come down to them. And he does. God comes down to them. He comes down to them to prove the inability of human effort to reach him on our own. And we see his reason in verse 6. I like this. I like this a lot. This is only the beginning of what they will do. God knows what's good for us, and he is often working in ways that we cannot understand to bring about good things for the children who love him. God graciously confuses their language, making their project horribly inefficient and impossible to complete. One moment they're working together, all headed the right direction. The next moment, God confuses their language and they can do nothing except for respond to what he just did. They're dispersed. So what they would not do in obedience, God did for them in judgment. And the thing they want to avoid most is the very thing they get. They're scattered. They wanted the name for themselves and they get one. They sure do. The Hebrew text picks up on this and I like it. You see, the people of Babylon, they didn't speak Hebrew. They spoke a language that's been lost in antiquity. And they had a word, a specific word, that meant the gate of God. It sounds a whole lot like Babel. Their word for the gate of God is Babylim. You see, Babel is actually a Hebrew term. It means confusion. So, although the Babylonians understood the name of the tower as their gate of God, the Hebrews knew better because God turned their gate of heaven into their confusion. 
twice a day. Twice a day, the sun appears to come down to our level. And the closer it gets to our horizon, the harder it is for us to function in its path. Think about the times you've driven west in the evening time. About this time of year, it's about 5.30, 5.45, 6 o'clock. Maybe driving down Lakeland into Jackson at about that time in the evening. The sun is blinding. It's so brilliant that we can't do anything to impact it. We put on our shades, we, we pull down our, our driver's shade, but nothing works. We can't do anything to impact the sun. And so we learn the truth. We are in orbit around the sun. The sun does not revolve around us. Church, the solution to a low view of God is to rediscover who he really is. Reconnect with him daily, not to get some mystical thought for the day or an inspirational quote, but to get what he says about himself. Seek to know him more fully so that we can bring more and more of ourselves into orbit around him. When you read the Bible, ask some questions. I ask these questions when I read the Bible. I ask, who is God? What has he done? What do I do in response to what he has done? And who am I in relation to him? Who is God? What has he done? Who am I in relation to him? And what do I do in response to what he has already done? From the beginning, God chose his people to be a blessing to the world, and technology can help. So how do you use it? Do you use it to worship your FOMO? Is your device about you or is it about somebody else? The question for us all today is, are we repeating the error of Babel? Technology and social media are pulling us continually inward, but God calls us out. I read an article recently by a lady named Cara Joyner from Relevant Magazine. She encourages us to uh, set up some boundaries, some barricades before we post on social media, before we go to the world with our technological devices. She says, ask some questions, have some boundaries. Now, I've come behind her and answered her questions with some four G's about God. The four G's about God are not mine. I don't know whose they are actually, but they're really good and they point to truths about our Father. So ask these four questions before you make that post and let's answer them with who God is. First, am I seeking approval? God is good. You don't have to look anywhere else. Am I boasting? God is glorious. Boast in Him. Am I discontent, fearful, or anxious? God is great. You don't have to be in control. Lastly, am I being kind? God is gracious. Let that be your message. So Babel ends with a return to chaos. All the families of the earth are hopelessly scattered and we're left grasping for a solution. What do we do now? But out of this curse comes great blessing and greater hope. The story of Babel is not the end of the story. In fact, it leads straight to the story of Abraham, which unveils God's commitment to a special family through whom he would bless all the nations of the earth Chapter 12, verse 3. God's promise to Abraham is God's answer to sin. Because we know Abraham's line leads straight to King David's line. And King David's line leads straight to our Redeemer, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you believe in Him? He is the only path to receive God's blessing. In God's created order for the world, with Him at the top, you second, 
and everything else behind him. How do you feel? How does your typical day feel? Does it feel like everything's in place? Do you feel peace? If not, quite likely, the order might be wrong. Something might just need to change. So ask, does my story align with his story? Look, we were all created in his image, but somewhere or another, we all got off track. We all got hungry. We took and we ate. And so God came down. He came down. He died. He was buried. He rose and he came back. And he told his disciples to wait, to wait for the power of the Spirit. And at Pentecost, the gospel was preached and all the world heard the gospel news in one tongue. This was a foretaste of what is to come when all of Christ's redeemed will stand at the throne of grace to worship the God of all creation in one nation, in one language, and in one tongue. Jesus is the answer. You see, the curse of Babylon is reversed. Jesus is the answer. He wins. Jesus always wins. You see, technology may be making a play. Maybe making a play to redefine our relationships with God, others, and ourselves, but it's also given us a chance to commit to the things that really do matter. To let go of climbing high for ourselves and to go in the direction that God has for us all. I'm encouraged too, because we have everything that we need to get going. We have the roadmap, we have the Redeemer, and we have His redeemed, His holy church. Technology can be good, and we need to focus on the many ways that it can be a blessing to the world. The world needs Christ's church. It needs more of God's image bearers to show them what real connection, real conversation, and real community actually look like. The world needs more of us to show them what God is like. Let's pray.